Yes, we're going to read in Genesis chapter uh, 8, the last verse in Genesis chapter 8, and a few verses in Genesis chapter 9. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. And God blessed Noah and his sons, and said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth. And the fear of you, and the dread of you, shall be upon every beast of the earth, and upon every fowl of the air, upon all that moveth upon the earth, and upon all the fishes of the sea. Into your hand are they delivered. Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, even as the green herb have I given you all things. But flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall ye not eat. And surely your blood of your lives will I require at the hand of every beast, will I require it, and at the hand of man, at the hand of Every man's brother will I require the life of man. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God made he man. And you be ye fruitful and multiply, bring forth abundantly in the earth, and multiply therein. And God spake unto Noah and to his sons with him, saying, And I, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your seed after you. We won't read any more because I don't think we got much further than that this morning. I had thought we would be able to finish Noah maybe today. We've been studying him now for uh, quite a few weeks. But I don't think we're going to do that. We'll have to have another look at him next week. You know, as we've been studying though, the reason why we started, and I keep saying this at the start of these little talks, is that we believe, as Jesus said, that as the times were in the times of Noah, it's an example of what's going to happen in the last days. Jesus said, as it was in Noah's day, so it'll be. And if you look at what's going to happen, what happened in Noah's time, there's going to be judgment in the latter times as well. And uh, also, the, the world was violent, the world was disrupted, they had gone against the way of God, and if we look at things today, we see that people are going completely against the way of God, and churches are going the same way. And I've been bringing little bits of snippets of information just to show how the world is going astray, and also how the churches are going astray. And one thing I had here was the largest icon that was installed in a parish church since the Reformation has been dedicated at St. Mary in Redcliffe in Bristol. It shows Our Lady of Redcliffe, sometimes known as Mary Star of the Sea, and an anthem was sung in its honour, based on Psalm 46. You know, they got rid of all these things in the Reformation, and now we're bringing them all back in again. But let's go on and have a look at Noah and see what we can learn from that. It's just showing you the way things are going in the world. Jesus said it was going to be that way. So don't be surprised, but be prepared. Verse 22. You know, I I entitled this, My times are in thy hands. My times are in thy hands. When I was a kid, um, 
in my bedroom. There was that text was in. I never knew what it meant. My times were in thy hands. I didn't really know, understand it, but I do now. But it's obviously stuck in my brain. My times are in God's hands. Always remember that. You think that you are working your will out, but God says, for those who will trust him, my times are in thy hands. In his hands. Psalm 31 verse 15. Well, while the earth remaineth seed time and harvest, cold and heat, and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. Noah and his family had just come through a challenging time. To say the least of it. It had been a difficult time. A time of darkness when day and night probably was indistinguishable. Clouds. The sun was probably blocked out for long periods of time. And the stars could not be seen. He'd come through a very difficult time. Time of great testing. You may think that you're going through a time of testing. Just think of poor old Noah. Shut up the, the eight of them with all those animals. Having to be fed every day. And all the work that had to be done. And the storm raging outside. How encouraging these words must have been to him. When he said. Normality was going to re return. Things were going to get back to what was reasonably normal. There had been no seed time and harvest in the past year. There had been very little sign of day and night probably as well. And here God was saying, things are going to be like this from now on. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, sun, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night. Oh, Noah must have said, thank God, that's going to happen. We're going to get back to a routine again. You know, Scripture says, God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. God doesn't like confusion. God is the author of peace. If we see churches that have confusion and, and, and disruption, that's not what Scripture says. God is not the author of confusion. This was going to be a time when things were going to get back into a routine. Summer and winter. Harvest and uh, seed time and harvest. Day and night. Cold and heat. It's always an encouragement to me on a cold day that, that that's what scripture says it's going to be. There's going to be cold and heat. There's a time for everything. My times are in thy hands. If you go over to Ecclesiastes. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes chapter 3. We know this passage so well. It's been sung and everything else. To everything there is a season. And God said to Noah, there's going to be seasons from now on in. To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. A time to be born, a time to die. We've been thinking of that this morning. Time, that God's times are in his hands. My times are in God's hands. There's a time for everything. A time to be born. And here God was reminding Noah that these times, that there was a time for everything. A time 
to every purpose under the heaven. God has a time for everything. And you know, when we look at the Lord Jesus, his life, we see this exemplified. In John 7 and verse 30, they, they came and they sought to take him, it says. They were going to take him, but no man laid hand on him because his time hadn't come. It wasn't the right time. We can't do things sometimes because it's not God's timing. Another time in John 8.20, these words spoke he in the treasury, teaching in the temple, and no one took him. They wanted to, but they couldn't. Why? Because his time hadn't come. It wasn't the right time. But then in John 13 we read, Now therefore before the feast of the Passover, Jesus knowing that his hour had come. Ah, this is why he had been born. This is why he had come into the world. This, his time had come. Men could do nothing until it was God's time. Make sure that anything we're doing is in God's time and not in our own time. It's easy to do things at the wrong time. And you know, when I was reading this last night, I got, probably got waylaid a little bit. Uh, I, I read on, and in, in, chapter, in verse 5 it says, and farmers will know this, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. Stones in a field prevent the field from becoming mature and prevent the, 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 the plants from growing. God had said to Noah, you have to be fruitful. But you know, if you have big stones in a field, the, the, the plants won't grow up through stones. They hinder the harvest. Get them out of the field. That's what this is saying. Get those stones out of the field so that the harvest can be a good harvest. What are the stones hindering my growth and fruitfulness in my life. And there might be stones in my life which are causing lack of fruitfulness. I have to get them out. Get rid of the stones. The desire for money, the desire for position, the desire for friends. We have to get these stones out so that God can produce fruit in my life. Remember last week we said, lay aside every weight. Lay aside every weight. We, we, we said about a, a man running in a marathon. He can wear an overcoat if he wants to running in the marathon, but he won't win the race. And wearing an overcoat may not appear to be anything uh, wrong, but he won't win the race. Lay aside those things which are holding us back in our Christian life. They may in themselves not be wrong, but they're holding us back. Get rid of the stones. Get rid of them. And then, you know, in Leviticus, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, there's an interesting, interesting little law in Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 14. <clears throat> we'll get back to Noah in a minute. Leviticus 14 and verse uh, 33. And there's a... There's a, a a law which was introduced here and it's about infected houses you know we get dry rot in houses I used to do surveys and, and if we found dry rot in, we had to get rid of the dry rot and this was very similar instructions here that was given in Leviticus 
The Lord said unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, When ye come into the land of Canaan, and when I give you it for a possession, and I put a plague of leprosy in the house of the land of your possession, he that owneth the house shall come and tell the priest, saying, It seemeth that to me there is, as it were, a plague in the house. Something's wrong with my house. There's a growth on the walls. There are streaks on, on, on the walls which are showing through. What am I going to do? The priest shall command that they empty the house before the priest go in to see the plague. That all that is in the house be not made unclean. And afterward the priest shall go in to see the house. And he shall look at the plague. And behold the plague be in the walls of the house with hollow streaks, greenish or reddish, which is inside her lower than the wall he looks at the wall and he sees all these streaks and things the same way as you used to go in and you can see dry rot spreading throughout a wall the priest went in and he saw this and he says we're going to have to do something about that we're going to have to take all the plaster off we're going to have to take out those stones which are affected and we're going to have to put in new stones in their place and even the dust he says we're going to have to scrape all those walls and take all the dust and get rid of them outside into a place away, away from everybody, into an unclean place. Get all those stones out that are affected. Get them out of the camp. Get, them, get rid of them. Outside the city. We are living stones. We are living stones, the Bible tells us. And we are being builded together into a fellowship, into his church. Make sure we keep the building pure. Make sure the stones are clean. Make sure that the building of stones of false teaching and false doctrine are got rid of. Get rid of them. Put them outside the camp into an unclean place. And then they got new stones and they put the new stones back into the building. And it says in verses 41 and 42, And he shall cause the house to be scraped. To be scraped clean. And all the dust is to be taken out. Even the dust. And with dry rot, you know, even that red spore which comes off dry rot, it's, it's deadly. You go into a place with dry rot and you, you go into another building which is at the right stage of, of moisture content and everything else, those spores that you carry on your feet will reproduce in the other house. And this was very common sense uh, advice here, whatever this plague was in these houses. But you know, they had to scrape the walls. And you and I may need to be scraped by the Lord Jesus. Our lives may be, need to be scraped to get rid of all that rubbish which is on our lives. And for that rubbish to be carted away. Ridding ourselves of the tainted stones and replacing them with new clean stones. Bringing about, bringing about a time to gather stones together. As it says in Ecclesiastes. We want to be fruitful for God. Let's go back to Noah. On Noah chapter 9. Uh, Genesis chapter 9. And let's look at verse 22 again. You know, in a spiritual sense, I suppose this verse could be looked at denoting the continuance of the work of God in the world. 
You know, this says that while the earth remain at seed time and harvest, it could picture the, 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 the church in the world, doesn't it? Sometimes when we're working in, 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 in the church, we have a time when it is a time of planting, sowing, sowing the precious seed of the word of God in the world, sowing it. Sometimes it, we, we seem to have a time of harvest when souls are saved, when people put their trust in, the, in God for, for salvation. That seems to be a time of, of, that comes about in churches. We have that time of sowing and then we, thank God, we sometimes have a time of harvest. And then we sometimes have winter. It all seems withered and dead. Things don't seem to happen. It's sad, isn't it? But that's the way it is. We don't see... And Noah knew all about this. Noah had been there building the, the ark. And he must have been at it, we think, for 120 years. And he was preaching righteousness. He was telling the people that judgment was coming. It must have felt like winter to him. Not one person around ever responded to his message. Not one, except his own family, which was a wonderful blessing. But no one else. No one else. We have those times, don't we? When everything seems withered and dead. Though the times it's summer, when everything seems to be going well in the church, there's good fellowship, there's happy times. Then sometimes it's cold again. Indifference. Nothing worse than indifference. You know, I, I had a, a, a little tract thing a while ago. And the difference, uh, what's the opposite to, to love? Most people will say hate. But in actual fact it's not. It's indifference. Indifference. People couldn't care less. And you get that feeling sometimes. You, you're, you're, you're speaking and you're talking and you're chatting with people... There's indifference. A time of coldness. You know, you talk about people, that person's very cold. It doesn't mean they're physically cold. It means that their attitude to you, their attitude to anything is cold. Indifference. In other times, there's a zeal with people. A time of, that they, 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 they're warm. Oh, that person's very warm. They're keen to hear you, what you say. They're keen to listen. Sometimes it is a time of day and other times a time of night. You know, and that's the way it's going to be until the Lord comes back. That's the way it will be. There'll always be these ups and downs. There'll always be that type of reaction with people. So be prepared for it. But they shall not hunger any more, neither shall they thirst any more, nor shall the sun at all fall on them, nor any burning heat. There's going to be a time when the gates shall not be shut at all, day nor night shall not be there. You know, when, we, when the new heaven and new earth will be a time when of great rejoicing, because we'll be in the presence of God. 
And you know, in verse 1 of chapter 9, it says, Noah, I want you to be fruitful. And God wants us, you and me, to be fruitful. And then in verse 2, he says, now here's an interesting thing. God says that the fear and dread of you shall be on all the animals. Well, it's very fortunate God put that dread into the animals. Otherwise, we'd have been overrun by animals. If, if animals hadn't the fear of man, we'd have been overrun. We'd have disappeared by now. If elephants and all these animals didn't have the fear of man, where would we be? Probably wouldn't be here this morning. But God... The animal kingdom would have had a lot more power than it has at the moment. But God put that in. That's just by the way. And it's interesting too that God says here in verse 3. That every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you. Every moving thing that liveth shall be food for you. At this point, as now, the difference between clean and unclean animals was not in. That didn't come in until the Levitical laws were brought in. But uh, Although Noah Noah knew about clean and unclean animals, but it wasn't the law of God at this stage. Because Noah, as we know, took in more clean animals into the ark than he took unclean animals, so that he could offer them a sacrifice. The herbs had been given to Adam without exception. Taking into account except the tree of the knowledge of good and of evil. But he could eat all the herbs. And so meat was here given on the same basis after the flood. But there was one proviso. One proviso was that you were not allowed to eat the blood or drink the blood of the animals. And that was reiterated as we saw in Acts when the the disciples were gathered together and the apostles and they gave instructions to one of the churches that that one of the things they said that they don't drink the blood because the blood is in the life and that was the reason and surely this must have been in preparation of the Levitical laws and also looking on to the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ would shed his blood the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ was shed for the forgiveness of sins. And for some reason God brought in this law that you are not allowed. The blood was precious. The preciousness of the blood even of man. In Leviticus 17 it says. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul the precious blood which would atone for the sins of the world eventually the Lord Jesus Christ shedding his blood not to drink the blood and just by the way how does this tie in with the Roman Catholic doctrine of transubstantiation they believe that when the mass is being executed by the, the, the sacrifice of the mass they call it and when you at the time I think it's about the time when they ring that little bell the actual bread and the wine don't just turn into a figurative blood of the Lord Jesus Christ but at that time they, the real presence of God 
Jesus Christ in some way, they believe, the sinews, the, the, the complete, the blood, the body, the sinews, everything is there in the transubstantiation. That's what they believe if you read the catechism. In fact, I don't think I could find it in this, but this guy mentions it. Oh, look it up afterwards, I'll, I'll show it to you afterwards. The, the, the real presence, they talk about the real presence of God is there. And then they drink the blood. They drink Christ's blood. That's what they claim. Cannibalism. But it is against scripture. Not to drink blood. They're going complete apostasy. Totally contrary to scripture. And we have all this combining nowadays this ecumenism scripture union the archbishop Carey the baptist union David Maddock down the road doesn't think the catholic church is apostate and many others so first of all while eating meat man is not to eat the blood the life is in the blood man is to respect life even animal life make sure the blood is out it says drain it off that's why the Jews have all this kosher cooking and things because they drain the blood off much more so even than we do but then it says surely for your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning God reckons that when we slay a man God wants a reckoning capital punishment here is instituted as a law of God. Capital punishment is instituted here as a law of God. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. You know, man was made in the image of God. Unfortunately, man does not portray much of the image of God these days. But yet... God says, because man was made in the image of God, therefore, any person who slays another man, I will demand his life. A life for a life. Whoso sheddeth man's blood by man, shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God made he man. Now this might not tie in with what you think. But this is not a Levitical law. This isn't a law which was brought in and then which was uh, annulled or brought to fruition in Christ. No, this is a law which was brought in before the law was introduced. The, the law of Moses was introduced. You know, I have a feeling it must have annoyed Satan that man was made in the image of God. must have annoyed Satan. That man was made in the image of God. And so from then on in, Satan was out to destroy man. To blot out the image of God in man. Whilst there's very sadly, very little of that image now still seen in man. God, God gives us that reason why capital punishment should be introduced. 
and Satan is out to destroy man. On the other hand, we as Christians, the Bible tells us that we as Christians should reflect that image of God in our lives. That's the important thing. We as Christians should show the image of God in our lives. In Romans it says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. When we accept Christ as our Saviour, we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us, and then our lives should reflect in some way the image of God. Paul says, to be conformed to, to the image of God, to be transformed into the image of God, our lives should reflect the image of God to those around us. In Corinthians, Paul says, as we have borne the image of the earthy, oh yes, you don't have far to look with people sometimes to see that they bear the image of the earthy. But then he says if we're Christians we should bear the image of the heavenly. We should be different. People should notice it. It says in whom, in, in Corinthians again, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ who is the image of God should shine into them. Yes, he says, Satan has blinded the eyes of people to stop them believing on God, to stop them believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and accepting him into their lives. And Christ is the image of God. We are made in the image of God, but as Christians, we should reflect that image of God because we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. I don't know, but perhaps in some way, I don't know, but perhaps in some way the abolition of capital punishment, which we see now is almost worldwide, is yet another way of the wiles of Satan seeking to annul God's laws. I don't know. You'll all have thoughts on that, I'm sure. But I'm only saying what it says here in Scripture. And then in verse 7, God says, and you. You know, as for you, Noah... I've said all these things, but as for you, what, what are you going to do? God seems to turn to Noah, and after telling him about this astounding law, which was bringing in capital punishment, he says, and, and you, yes, as far as you're concerned, however, I repeat, that's what he's really saying. I repeat, be fruitful and multiply. And uh, Darby's translation says, swarm on the earth, swarm on the earth and multiply on it. Swarm all over the place and multiply. It's interesting, you know, when the Tower of Babel was being built, people didn't want to swarm on the earth. They were going against God's law. God said, get around the place and multiply. We repeat it again this morning. God wants us to be fruitful. You know, you hear this silly joke about the two snakes huddled in a corner and God had told them to multiply and they said, why, why are you crying? Because they were adders. And, but you know, God, God wants... Doesn't, God isn't a God of addition. God is a, a God of multiplication. 
He didn't say just add up, multiply. He wants us to multiply throughout the earth. To be fruitful and multiply. Brenda had trouble with bees a few weeks ago. My father used to keep bees. Never touch, he used to say. They won't. The only one who ever got stung was him. I made sure I kept well away from them. But they swarm. When they reach that stage, when they think, well, we've done all we can here, let's get out of here and have another hive. That's what God wants us to be. He wants us to swarm over the earth with his story and his love and telling others about the Lord Jesus. God spake spake unto Noah and to his sons in verse 8. Quite often we read that God spake to Noah, but you know, God spoke to Noah and his sons. Quite often, you know, God speaks individually to you and to me. God spoke individually to Noah. God speaks to us as individuals. In God's sight, we are each individual. But then God also speaks to, to fellowships and to churches and to groups. In, in Revelation, we, we know that the, the, the Jesus in those letters to the various churches, the whole church, the letter was to the church, Paul wrote to churches, but Jesus also speaks as individuals. But he also speaks to us as groups. And then, we finally close. God reveals a wonderful plan that he has in mind. You know, God spoke to Noah. Noah was terribly privileged in in many ways. God warned him and told him about coming judgment. God told him how to uh, be able to avoid the judgment come into the ark with him God uh, told him when to go into the ark and when to come out of the ark God spoke to Noah in very real terms and God had revealed these plans he had here about punishment to people who, who murdered others and then he says I've got another plan and what was it He says, I am forming an alliance with you. All who come after you and your family. And I'm giving you a pledge and will keep this covenant. That's basically what he's saying. I'm going to establish a a covenant with you and with your seed after you. And with every living creature that is with you. Of the fowl, of the cattle and the beast of the earth. And from all that go out of the ark. I will establish my covenant with you. He was going to start a new agreement. A whole new agreement was going to be formed with Noah. What a wonderful, exciting time it must have been for Noah. Coming out of the ark and God says from now on, you know, we're going to have things are going to have summer and winter, seed time and harvest. Things are going to get back to normal. We're going to have order in the world. And then I want you to be fruitful and go out around the world and swarm around and, and, and inhabit the earth and multiply and be fruitful and then he said I'm going to have a special agreement with you gosh Noah must have been shocked God God is going to have an agreement with him and I'm going to keep my word I'm going to keep my word that must have been an encouragement to Noah I'm going to make an agreement specially with you and I'm going to give you a pledge of that agreement we look at that next week and then I'm going to keep my word 
for those of us who are Christians. Christ has said that he was making a new covenant with us. A new covenant in his blood. A new covenant in his blood. Now we see the importance of the blood question, don't we? And he has given us a pledge. What is the pledge of our salvation? The pledge of our salvation is the Holy Spirit. It says in Ephesians, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, they heard the word of truth, they trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, they, they, they believed the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, these people had been heathens, pagans and they had heard Paul preach they had been in Ephesus where the temple of Diana was where there was heathen worship there was temple prostitution there was thousands of temple prostitutes but Paul had gone in there and he had preached the gospel and these people had turned from idols to serve the living God they had become Christians and what had happened to them he said after that ye believed ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. They receive the Holy Spirit into their lives. That's the wonderful thing about salvation. It's a miracle. We don't understand it. But when we come and ask God to come into our lives and hearts, He comes in the power of His Holy Spirit. And He says here, You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Oh yes, you were marked out. There was a seal put on you. The signet ring was marked. And you are marked as one who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says which is the earnest of our inheritance. And what does that mean? The earnest is the deposit. When you see something you want to buy somebody. You go along and I haven't got the money at the moment. And I pay a deposit. And I put a deposit on it. And that is the guarantee that when that article will become mine someday. It's money which in purchases is given as a pledge or down payment that the full amount will subsequently be paid. We have a deposit. We have the earnest of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that's a guarantee that someday our inheritance will be secure in heaven. It's a pledge of our salvation. It's a pledge of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. Unto the praise of his glory. Someday the pledge will be honoured. And we will receive the full salvation in heaven. And that's the kind of covenant that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. But this covenant God made with Noah. But Jesus said, I have given a new covenant in my blood. My body is going to be broken. My, my blood is going to be poured out. And that's the new covenant. The old one had passed away. Where there were sacrifices of animals and things. But they were all pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. Of whom it was said. Behold the Lamb of God 
which takes away the sin of the world. And this morning we're coming here to remember the Lord Jesus Christ in the breaking of the bread and the drinking of the wine. 